Welcome back, fellow Inquisitors. I would say happy Friday, but unfortunately the news I have for you isn't particularly happy. But I hope you have a good Friday, nonetheless. Let's jump in, because we, we do have a lot of topics uh, from a range of sources and markets and areas. Uh, the first news that I have for you is Germany adds to the list of triggering gas alarms. So what does this make it now? It makes Denmark, Sweden and Germany... Uh, I believe uh, I'm losing count of all the countries that are now raising these gas shortages alarms. Let's get into this article from Reuters to begin with, because the hypocrisy is baffling. Germany triggered the alarm stage of its emergency gas plan on Thursday, that was yesterday, in response to falling Russian supplies, but stopped short of allowing utilities to pass on soaring energy costs to customers in Europe's largest economy. Oh, no, no, that's the next stage. This step is a largely symbolic signal to companies. Okay, so it's like your, what, second warning? Like, we're in the shit. <laughs> Lower gas flows sparked warnings l this week that Germany could fall into recession if Russian supplies halted altogether. Okay, well, first of all, that's warnings that Germany could fall into recession, which which itself is serious. Then it's kind of got the caveat, if Russian supplies halted together, and whilst ordinarily I'd say, all right, so that kind of, you know, um, cancels out the previous one because Russian supplies aren't halting, they are just lowered. Uh, and we'll go on to the article because don't just breathe out yet, okay? A survey on Thursday showed the economy losing momentum in the second quarter. <laughs> you don't say. We must not fool ourselves. The cut in gas supplies is an economic attack on us by Putin, Habeck said. That hypocrisy literally just, like, slaps me in the face. Sorry, what are sanctions, Mr. Habeck? You have the audacity. First of all, that's baseless anyway. The cut in gas supplies is not an economic attack on you. <laughs> First of all, as we've already reported, it's this um, shenanigans between Canada and Germany of the servicing of the turbine. So we're led to believe uh, a situation that Germany and Canada apparently haven't resolved yet. I'm sure the Russians are capitalizing on this, which gives further concern to later in the article. Let's go on. Gas rationing would hopefully be avoided, but cannot be ruled out. That's a fair statement. Russia has denied the supply cuts were deliberate, with state supplier Gazprom blaming a delay in the return of serviced equipment caused by Western sanctions. That's, that's fair in my opinion, although I do believe that perhaps they are magnifying the consequences let's say, I would suspect that perhaps gas flow uh, wouldn't be reduced to such an extent, but maybe, if we're being super cynical, that the Russians have dialed down the volume to as much as they can get away with to maximise the pain, I would. I'm saying this because I bloody would if I was Russia, but luckily I'm not in charge of Russia. The Kremlin on Thursday said Russia strictly fulfills all its obligations. That has been a consistent message from the beginning. And despite many of you in the comments, along with me saying, I'll just switch the taps off, Russia hasn't yet. Let's get on. 
Uh, the second alarm stage of a three-stage emergency plan means authorities see a high risk of long-term supply shortages. Fair enough. It includes a clause allowing utilities to immediately pass on high prices to industry and households. Wow. So that's the next stage. Jeez. Uh, there's there's more details here, obviously linked in the description. Every article that I feature, I link. Uh, the move to phase two had been anticipated since Gazprom cut flows via the Nord Stream 1 pipeline across the Baltic Sea to just 40% of capacity last week. That's not news, but I thought that was just 40% of capacity. Wow. I thought it was useful to highlight. Data released on Thursday showed Germany has imported... 22% less natural gas in the first four months of 2022, but the cost surged 170% over the same period, if we're to believe Reuters. That is mind-blowing. Uh, let's go down here. Nord Stream 1 is due to undergo maintenance on July 11th to 21st, when flows will stop. Mm -hmm. So flows will stop. They will stop at least between the 11th to the 21st. Extended maintenance of Nord Stream 1 would further tighten the market and make it harder to fill gas storage until winter. This is, of course, in Russia's strategic interest. You're goddamn right. Wow. So we know that flows are scheduled to stop for maintenance. And if maintenance is extended... Which I th I suspect Russia could come up with a feasible excuse and reason to do so. Will they? I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that. But I would not be surprised if they did, would you? Wow. This is really, really concerning. Uh, yeah. And the last line, the risk of full gas disruption is now more real than ever before. Well, it's it's not even a risk at this stage. There will be disruption. That's a certainty if this scheduled maintenance goes ahead and potentially extended. So it's no surprise now that in De Spiegel, the Department of Commerce has plans to, it's translated as expropriate Nord Stream 2, but this is nationalized. Well, we've had the nationalization of Gazprom Germania. Or, you know, they were careful with that. It's not necessarily nationalization, is it? They've They've... They've tiptoed around it. Now they're tiptoeing around Nord Stream 2, which has gas in it. Uh, and the Russians have said, we will happily supply you gas through Nord Stream 2. Just, just give us the go. Well, there's some interesting details in this article from De Spiegel. Uh, so far, it has only been a nightmare scenario. Russia's President Vladimir Putin turns off the gas tap in Germany and plunges the economy into recession. I, I love <laughs> that it's just on Putin. Nothing to do with sanctions and nothing to do with you know, anything else. It's, it's all just because Putin decides. <laughs> but since last week, the fear has become a bit, a bit... <laughs> of a reality uh, only 40 percent, and it repeats a lot of the details that we've just covered i don't know how much of this is translation or how much of this is actual rhetoric but gosh some of it does make me laugh i think translation adds a little bit of extra spice to my amusement um don't worry i sound really callous there but i don't mean it like that uh some graphics there so the federal government is therefore considering highly unconventional ways of procuring alternative sources for natural gas from Russia. Two planned liquid gas terminals in Wilhelmshaven 
and Brunsbüttel will not be ready anytime soon. Four special ships should be able to dock there in order to turn the liquefied natural gas from the USA or the Middle East back into gas and feed it into pipelines. This is the key difficulty in question. It's all very well promising LNG. How do you feed LNG into the gas network? But that won't be enough in the long run. More terminals are needed, especially one in the Baltic Sea. Is there an LNG terminal in Kaliningrad, I wonder? I'd need to research that. So that eastern and especially southern Germany, including Bavaria, can be better served. So far, these regions have been directly dependent on the pipelines from Putin's empire. See what I mean? By, I don't know if that's actual intended rhetoric or just translation. <laughs> uh, so it talks about Nord Stream 2, which has been sunk at the bottom of the sea. Uh, a project whose approval process was halted after Putin's invasion of Ukraine. The lines stretch over a thousand kilometers across the Baltic Sea. The federal government is investigating whether to expropriate the part of the pipe system that's on German territory and cut it off from the rest of the pipeline. Why? Why are they considering that? What, what solution does that present or give? The tubes leading from land to sea could then be connected to a mobile LNG terminal. Ah. I'm still not entirely sure about the feasibility of all this. Okay, so you want to, like, tap into it. Mm-hmm. The advantage, at the end of the pipeline, there's a complete distribution network with compressors and lines that could transport the gas directly to southern Germany. An almost ideal infrastructure. I see. Yeah, I think I follow, but I'm not entirely convinced. Current property rights are also complicated. The company Nord Stream 2 is insolvent. <laughs> the holding company based in Zug is managed by an administrator from Switzerland. The question of ownership of the pipeline is therefore unclear. Wow, what a mess. Probably the greatest fear of the Germans, that Vladimir Putin and his state-owned company, Gazprom, will react to such an expropriation with retaliation. Well, yeah, that's a, that's a fair concern, isn't it? Wouldn't you? For example, by expropriating German companies in Russia. Tip for tat. Mm -hmm. But it depends. How much do you need the gas? Are you willing to sacrifice those companies? How much do you need those? The tube, which already contains several million cubic meters of gas, is still being maintained today so that it can be used in the short term. So, as they confirm, it is good to go. Just stop being idiots. You know, stop playing silly buggers. Ah, but then we have the culprit, Habeck or one of, knows about the dangers of such a drastic intervention and therefore takes a multi-pronged approach. Insiders report, I hate that, that building a second tube parallel to the Nord Stream 2 pipeline is also an option under discussion that would not eliminate the risk of retaliation, but it would reduce it. And how long would that take? This... Stop being silly buggers takes what? A statement and an inaction of... Law, perhaps law changes, breaking away. It's going screw you, EU. We aren't we aren't being deindustrialized and going into recession for your whims. No, no, we're going to build a uh, pipeline alongside. I am flabbergasted. Uh, it's just such a mess. And talking of being flabbergasted and such a mess, what do you think of this news in the Guardian? This is a little bit old. This was announced on the twentieth of June, but unfortunately, I haven't time to get round to it. UK mortgage lenders told they can scrap the affordability rule for buyers. 
I can't afford it. Don't worry about that. Did, does this not give you uh, Vietnam flashbacks to 2008? If it does, yeah. Well, don't worry. They address that. Lenders will no longer have to check whether homeowners, <laughs> homeowners could afford mortgage payments at higher interest rates after the Bank of England ditched the rule originally designed to avoid another 2007-style credit crunch. The rule, introduced in 2014, was intended to make sure borrowers did not take on more debt than they could afford and potentially amplify an economic downturn and put financial stability at risk. So you increase more the interest rates and then people go, oh, well, I can't afford a mortgage. Don't worry about that. What, what rule is stopping you? Yeah, we'll scrap that. Because that's not a bad idea at all, is it? Just print more money, which exactly. So then it's in, you know in, exacerbates inflation. The decision to withdraw the affordability test comes despite the Bank of England having raised interest rates for a fifth time in a row to 1.25% last week as part of efforts to tackle soaring inflation, meaning some mortgage borrowers could be in line for higher repayments. Experts said that while some might find the rule changes baffling in light of rising interest rates, the risks were relatively low given the loan-to-income rules would remain in place. I'm smelling bullshit now. The timing of today's announcement is somewhat baffling and may enrage some who still have the financial crash burned into their memory. You don't say, Gemma Harley, Managing Director of Quilter Financial Planning. However, she said, what is potentially bad timing for the announcement? The change in the affordability rules may not be as significant as it sounds, as the loan-to-income flow limit will not be be withdrawn, which has much greater impact on people's ability to borrow. Okay, I I understand what she's saying, but I'm still like, how is this a good idea whatsoever? There was there was a clear reason why this rule was introduced, and you're clearly overlooking that um, for I don't know why. <laughs> I, I don't know. It seems like they're driving the car off a cliff at the moment. The change would be positive news for borrowers, borrowers who are falling short on other affordability tests. But no, that's not positive news. Yes, you can get a mortgage, but that means you're likely to more likely to default potentially. I like this last line as well. Perhaps it could inspire some lower stress rates for those that need it most with low income, but with perfect credit and years of experience paying their rent. That got me. As I said, I lived, I worked for at least 25 years in the UK, never saved up enough money for a deposit, primarily because I was stuck paying rent. Rent took all my money away. So yes, I had years of experience paying rent because I... I couldn't afford to buy a house, but then the reason I couldn't afford to buy the house was the house prices were too high and uh, my wages weren't commensurate you know, enough to those prices and therefore I'd have been over leveraged, perhaps, you know, without that savings and without being able to put down the deposit. Anyway, enough. I don't want to go off on a rant here. We're going to have to move quite quickly on. So you've just seen in here on this right-hand page here, I've highlighted it, so Russia, Ukraine... Uh, Ukraine troops will have to quit Severodonetsk. So we've got this being reported in The Guardian. It's now also being reported in Russian media. Specifically here it mentions Lizachansk and the uh, Gorskoye. Now, we'll get into that in a little moment. That's The actual name is a little bit different. This is anglicized, let's say. Uh, the losses of the armed forces of Ukraine near Lizachansk, as well as in the cauldron near Gorsky and Zyloti, 
amounted to more than 1,000 people killed and about 800 soldiers surrendered. Um, we'll get into the briefing. This is, as it says here, Ministry of Defense of Russia. So this is linked to a briefing. And then if we go over to Izvestia, Ukrainian troops were ordered to leave Severodonetsk, uh, reported today early this morning. And as we've seen here, uh, Ukraine troops will have to quit. So that's sort of verified in Western media as well. So there seems to be, um, what would you, would you say, consensus across uh, the news media, regardless, East and West. Let's just take a quick look at this Ministry of Defence briefing, because I have noticed the past couple of days there's a lot of action going on, because when the MOD has been posting its briefings, they're now split into two parts. There's so much news. Successful offensive of Russian units towards Lugansk within five days has resulted in the liberation of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten settlements here. A group of Ukrainian units has been completely isolated near Gorskoye and Zolotoye. Uh, This pocket has encircled four battalions. In total, the Gorskoye pocket has isolated up to 2,000 people, about 1,800 servicemen, some neo-naughties, 80 foreign mercenaries it claims, Uh, 41 servicemen abandoned their resistance and surrendered. Uh, The last bit here is Russian troops are straightening the Gorskaya encirclement by launching uninterrupted attacks at the enemy. Half of Zlotye has been taken under control yesterday, over yesterday. Okay, let's just try and see if uh, we can see this on the map. I don't don't want to get into too much analysis. Uh, I'll leave that to uh, people like Alexander Mercuris, military summary and um, was it defense politics Asia much better but just to give you some uh, context this um, this is the area that we're talking about uh, Nikolaevka was one of the villages here that was mentioned in that briefing um, the, it's these settlements here there's Zolotia uh, if you can see my cursor down there so all this region has been uh, taken under Russian control and we can see here how they're closing this cauldron Lizzie Chansk and then we see three hours ago reported on liveuamap.com Ukrainian troops have received order to retreat from Severodonetsk says local governor Sergei Haidai Hadja okay well a day late and a dollar short in my opinion given that even reports here of Russian army using helicopters to destroy bridges and roads allegedly so all, all these escape routes are pretty much covered from what I read and how it appears. So uh, quite a dire set of circumstances, it seems, for the troops of Ukraine in this region. This cauldron is about to boil over, I suspect. Uh, Moving on, let's quickly translate this article for you, if it will load. Probably not. I think this is... Oh, here we are. Uh, Yeah, so more Vedomosti. Ukrainian military began to surrender near Lizychansk and Severodonetsk. Uh, um, this is said Lieutenant Colonel, Lieutenant Colonel of the People's Militia of the LPR. Okay, well that seems to be corroborated by other sources as well. Moving over to Politico, with the, with the uh, I guess, the deluge of disturbing news, Politico, of all people, again take that or leave it, I Politico are prone to some BS, but uh, in this case, I think it's noteworthy that Politico is reporting that Zelensky plans to dismiss the head of the SBU. 
again, forgive my memory, but I, I thought this had been talked about before. But now it's out in Politico, I kind of give it a bit more credence and notice. We are very unhappy with his work and are working to get rid of him. The publication quotes a comment from one of the anonymous sources. That then downgrades my credibility rating uh, on that when it's all someone familiar with, someone close to. Yeah, I don't. I really don't like that. Um, Bakanov is considered one of the culprits for the failures of the armed forces of Ukraine in the combat zone, as well as for the losses of a number of territories, including Kherson. Okay, so, yep, more more necks lined up on the chopping block, which I thought, you know, months ago, I thought this was happening in Russia. You know, Putin was so upset and everything, he was lining up generals on the chopping block and they were all getting fired, but we've heard no more in Western press. So to to end on um, on the U.S., and the comedy that writes itself that comes from Biden. Biden found a cheat sheet with instructions to sit down in your seat. Biden accidentally showed the public a detailed cheat sheet of his actions. So he's even got directions. Check this out. You go to the Roosevelt room and greet the participants. Okay, so you couldn't have worked that out. You sit in your seat. <laughs> Stress, then capitalized. I don't know if it was capitalized. That picture's pretty small. You make short comments, two minutes. You ask the head of the AFL-CIO, uh, <laughs> Liz Schuler. You thank the participants. You are leaving. Oh, Grandpa. And then, it, then it's ice cream time afterwards. Gosh, that's... I'm laughing, but that is really quite frightening. Don't you think? Anyway, anyway, it's good to end on a chuckle. There's, I'm, that's been a whistle-stop tour. Um, and you see now, just recently, in um, the Russian media is now picking up this story about Germany nationalizing part of Nord Stream 2. Yeah, that's about a round, roundup of the news in Russia this morning and across across many parts of the world. Uh, as I say, I hope you have a good Friday. Don't, don't be too worried. Everything will be fine, I'm sure. Last last note, I don't want to hear a squeak from the West regarding freedom of the press until you pizdjits free Assange. God damn it. Yeah, Got to end on that. Right, otherwise, I will see you in the next video. Bye-bye.